Good afternoon and uh, let me add my word of welcome uh, to that of Brian's and uh, if you're visiting uh, and uh, you are our guest today, a warm word of welcome to you. Well, we're almost at an end uh, of uh, Ecclesiastes. I think we have one or two more maybe uh, in November. Um, I'm not here next week. Uh, I'm in Hawaii. Uh, This is work. I'm uh, I'm speaking. I'm speaking at a conference. I asked my wife, "Did she want to come with me?" Of course, she said. So uh, we will be uh, in Honolulu next next week. But I'll think about you. (laughs) I'll send you a a picture uh, of the ocean. And, and maybe something inside a coconut. And uh, I hope that you have a wonderful week next week. And I'll be back the week after. Now, we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. It's a difficult chapter. We're going to focus mo- mostly on verses 1 through 6. And let, but let's read the chapter together. Cast your bread... Upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young men, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Well, maybe you've seen uh, the bumper sticker. I'm not indecisive, am I? (laughs) Uh, We hesitate to mow the yard or wash our car because it might rain. 
And we keep putting off a decision until we're positive that nothing will go wrong. And that leads to inertia. There's nothing wrong with caution, but indecision can be paralyzing when it, comes, when it becomes a way of life, when it becomes our go-to to be indecisive. And Ecclesiastes 11, we are told that we are to use our time wisely. And look to God to add his blessing. It begins in uh, verses 1 through 4. And you notice that the ESV has um, indented it to tell you that this is a little different from verses 5 through 10. And what we have in these first four verses are like proverbs. One-liners that are meant to convey a nugget of truth. If you take all four as a whole, you'll understand that Solomon is encouraging you to action. I think of... uh, I think the summary of Ecclesiastes 11 is that fools, or the foolish way, is inactivity, paralysis. But the wise way is action and doing. Proverbs 26 and verse 13 The sluggard says there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the street. Well, probably not. But I'm not going to risk it. I'm just going to stay inside because there might be a lion on the road or in the street. There's risk everywhere and in everything. And Derek Kidner, who's a wonderful now with, with, uh, with Jesus in glory, but he was a wonderful Old Testament scholar uh, and wrote um, several commentaries, uh, and he's noted for his very pithy uh, sentences. He's a wonderful commentary in Genesis. And Derek Kidner summarizes verses 1 through 6 by the words, Be bold. Be bold. So let's take a look at some of these proverbs. Cast your bread on the waters and you will find it after many days. Now, many days. You cast your bread on the water. We'll, we'll, we'll look at what that means in a minute. Cast your bread upon the water and in many days you will find it. So there's This delay between the sowing and the reaping. I hate delays. My my greatest hatred of delays is in Atlanta Airport. (laughs) 
and uh, you look at your phone, you look at your Delta app, and it says delayed 20 minutes. And you know that that's not going to be 20 minutes. It's going to be an hour, two hours. You're going to miss your connection. Things don't happen instantly. It's an older man. It's Solomon in his old age telling young folk that things don't happen instantly. You know, little, little children. I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. Now, what does cast your bread on the waters mean? And there are three possibilities, and I'll tell you which one I think it is. Firstly, and this is the traditional um, interpretation, um, medieval interpretation, uh, that this is giving alms to the poor. And you'll reap a reward later. Uh, A second uh, interpretation is that This is a senseless action. Why would you put bread on the water? You you go back three days later and it's gloopy and moldy or the fish have eaten it. Why would you do that? But even even senseless actions have a reward. I don't like that interpretation, but but it's out there. I think what this is actually saying is trade. Overseas trade. Cast your bread on the waters. Imagine 10th century BC, 9th century BC. And um, you put your goods on a ship and watch it sail away across the Mediterranean to some port in North Africa. And you, you, you haven't got uh, an iPhone that tells you, an email comes and says it's arrived and it's in this location and it's on board a truck and it's, and it's on the way and it's coming. It'll arrive between three and five this afternoon. None of that. You cast your bread on the waters, you, you, you put your goods on a ship in trade and you have to trust God. All kinds of things can happen. The ship can sink. Somebody might steal it. When, it. when it gets off the boat, it gets lost. The inventory gets lost. There are a thousand things that can happen. But that doesn't mean you don't trade anymore. It involves risk. But cast your bread on the waters and it will return to you in, in many days. He's making a general principle. That some things are risky, but that doesn't mean to say that you must be paralyzed by it. Well, verse 2. Give a portion to seven and even to eight. Uh, do we have money managers in here? Yes, we have, we have people who work with money. And what this is saying is you must diversify your investments. I've had this little talk about my 401k because I have to dip into it when I turn 71. And 
40 years ago or 30 years ago, it was, it was all risk. Let's, let's go for broke. But in the last 10, 15 years, we've narrowed the risk factor as much as we can, but it can still go south. A war. Actually, the stocks went up when, when Israel said they were at war. What? That's crazy. Hedge your bets as to where you put your money. That would be a colloquial rendition of verse 2. There's risk. So what do you do? You put your money under your pillow. 35 years ago, there were two women, elderly women, and uh, they needed to move. They needed, desperately needed to downsize. They were in a three-story house. And they were in their 80s, for sure. And uh, there were two sisters. And we got the deacons and, and myself. And uh, we went in there and uh, we quietly threw things out that they didn't see. And uh, we sent them to the new location so that we could do this without interference. And uh, some of the furniture went to the new location and, and others went, I don't know where it went. So eventually the house is empty and uh, I'm about to close the door. And I said to one of the deacons, you know, that it's a three-story house, so there are lots of stairs uh, and there's a carpet, you know, there's, there's wood on either side, but there's, but there's a, a runner, a runner, is that what you call it, a runner, a carpet going up all the way to the top floor. And I said, we need to check underneath this carpet because I, I bet you, let me use a different word, I guarantee you <laughs> that they've, they've put money under the carpet. And sure enough, when we undid the carpet on every step, there was money. Thousands of pounds worth of money that over the years they had, they had put under the carpet to keep it in a safe place. There's risk. Diversify your investments. Give to seven or even to eight. One of them is going to come back. Maybe six of them will come back good. Verse three. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Some things are just going to happen. A sprinkler is going to go off. Barbara, our heart goes out to you. Our entire house was ruined because a sprinkler on the top floor went off accidentally when they were out. Um, a heart goes out to you. pray for you. Trust that you'll be able to survive the next few months in this ordeal. But stuff happens. You come home, there's been a strong wind, you look in the backyard, the tree's down. And for some reason it's going to cost $500 to get rid of it. Stuff happens, disasters happen, obstacles are in the way. And there's nothing you can do about it. Stuff happens. But that doesn't 
mean that you are paralyzed by it. Verse 4. Are there farmers here? He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. I remember my, my father in, in days when weather forecasting was not where it is now. And weather forecasting was hit or miss back in the 60s. Uh, and m- my father would want to mow uh, the hay, and, and it, would, it, it would lie in the sun for two or three days to dry, and, and a machine would go in and toss it up in the air to help it dry even further. But there was always a risk that the day after you mowed this hay and it was lying on the field, it would rain. And if it rained a lot, it would rot and you'd lose your crop. So you just had to make the call. It looks good. Forecast says it's good. So let's go. Let's do it. And if the rain comes, it comes, and there's nothing we can do about it. There are risks in life, but this too shall pass. This too shall pass. You don't want to hear that when you're actually in the middle of the mess. Right? Some, some know-it-all comes and says, you know, this too shall pass. But after it's over and you're a million miles away from that problem, you, you nod your head and you say, yes, this too shall pass. So there are these four proverbs. And then in verses 5 and 6, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the, woman, in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Now... He's talking about the same thing, but he's talking about it from the perspective of God and God's providence. And he talks about the mystery of creation and the creation of a little child in the womb of its mother. And the doctrine of creation is a game changer. Because it tells us immediately that we owe everything to our creator. That our existence is not happenstance. It's with a purpose and a plan. The person who doesn't believe in creation lives for himself and he is the king of the castle. But if you have a doctrine of creation, you realize immediately that you owe everything. Your very existence you owe to God. And that's a game changer. Now, this is a very important text because it talks about a child in its mother's womb and it says the spirit comes. And spirit, spirit here with a small s, it's not talking about the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the spirit or the soul of a child. That we are created as embodied souls. We are both body and soul. What is soul? Let, let, me, let me suggest to you that the best way of thinking about the soul is your consciousness. That you are conscious of who you are. 
We have an expert here on the brain. I mean, we have a world expert here on the brain. He's written a thousand-page book on the brain. He's taught hundreds, if not thousands, of doctors about the brain. And it's full of pictures. He gave me a copy of it. I, I couldn't get past the first page. It's full of pictures of the brains. And, and, and he can tell you all kinds of things about the activity of the brain and how the brain functions and which part of the body, um, in, you know, where in the brain uh, is the sense of taste or where in the brain uh, is, is the movement of, of your limbs or, or, or a thousand other anatomical questions. But I asked him on the parking lot uh, of First Prayers one, one Sunday evening Maybe, maybe 10 years ago, um, I, I asked him the question, with all of your knowledge of the brain, can you explain medically and anatomically consciousness? And you said no. Right? With all the, all the study that, that has been made on the brain, there's no answer to the question, what is the reason for consciousness? That we are thinking beings. We are soulish beings. And it's a mystery. That little child in the womb of its mother is an embodied soul. And that's why abortion is such a terrible, terrible thing. That we have folk who are saying, up until the time of delivery, when that baby is about to be born, it can be killed. Because it's just a piece of protoplasm. And Ecclesiastes 11.5 is saying, no, it's an embodied soul. Now, where does the soul, where does consciousness come from? And there are those who, there are two views in theology. There is the view that your soul is passed on from your parents. Because of the text in Hebrews 7.10, when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Levi is hundreds of years later. But he was in the body of his ancestor ancestor. And, and that verse has been used to say, well, his, his soul is passed on through generations. Consciousness. The, the prevailing view in our circles today would be a creationist view, meaning that God creates the soul at the same time as he creates the fetus. Consciousness is a God-given thing. Now, what is he saying? What's the point that he's saying? Well, if you don't know how you came to be, what do you know? What do you know about life? What do you know about the work of God? What do you know about everything? We don't know. We don't have answers to some questions. Some questions are beyond our understanding. 
They're incomprehensible to us. But that doesn't mean that you're paralyzed. Be bold. You don't have to understand everything. But be bold. My mother, we're talking about 20 years ago, my mother was a widow for, for decades. And um, she lived a very, very simple life. She, she had very few needs. And she was very content uh, with her situation. But uh, the iPhone had been created. You remember the BlackBerry? Did you ever have a BlackBerry? It died. It, it is stone dead. Nobody has a BlackBerry anymore. That entire company went south because of Apple. And there's a movie out about it right now, I think. And um, my older brother is military, Korea military, everything's black and white. And uh, I had an iPhone. I'd gone to visit my mother and I had an iPhone and I was showing her how I could FaceTime my, my wife in, in, or, or my, my daughter in Glasgow. I don't remember what I was face, who I was FaceTiming. And I said to my mother, you know, you, you really need to get one of these. And my older brother said, she'll never be able to use it. Meaning that she should be paralyzed into inactivity because she didn't understand how the thing worked. But the next day, she bought an iPhone. <laughs> she acted boldly, even though there were bits of it that she didn't understand, and, and we had to go through a learning curve on many things, but, but the response was boldness. So in verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, and I think he's talking about two different kinds of seeds. Sow, sow seed in the morning and sow seed in the evening. Or he may be saying, he may be saying sow seed and two different kinds of seed or three different kinds of seed. And sow it from morning until evening. Perhaps that's what he's saying. And you don't know which one of these seeds is actually going to thrive. So Diversify. How can you know if God is going to prosper your work? You do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. It's like the parable of the sower, isn't it? And you sow your seed. It's like preaching. You sow your seed. You preach the word of God. You offer the gospel. And some of it will fall on stony ground. And some of it will grow for a little and then weeds will come and, and, and kill it. But some will prosper. So keep on sowing. Keep on preaching. I don't know which one is going to prosper. I don't know who is elect and not elect. So you preach boldly and leave it to God to bring it to fruition. So what is he saying? Let's step back a little. What's he saying? 
He's saying the world is a mess. It's a mess. And you may not like it, and you may not understand it. Things happen, stuff happens. But you do what you can. And you never know when God might bless what you do. So you do it, you live your life looking to God. A God whom you don't fully understand and will never fully understand. But you know that he loves you. And you know that because he sent his son to die for you. And he's given you promises. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I never promised that a sprinkler wouldn't go off. I never promised that a tree wouldn't fall on the roof of your house. I never promised that. I never promised that you'd be rich and famous. But use the gifts that you have. And use the time that you have. And the talents that you have. And understand that life is hard. And there are many battles. And there's lots of opposition. You may be in a really, 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 really difficult place right now. But tomorrow, the sun will shine. Uh, One of our staff members, uh, Matt McFarlane, led devotions on Tuesday. It was one of the best devotions I'd heard for a long time. And uh, he reminded me of a passage that I had forgotten. I haven't been in Second Chronicles for a while. I, I preached through Second Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, thirty years ago, I'm sure. Um, but in Second Chronicles chapter twelve, there's the prayer of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good king. He had his issues, but he was mostly a good king. And he is surrounded by a triumvirate of enemies about to make war with him. And he prays in his prayer in Second Chronicles 20 and verse 12. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a great prayer. I don't know what to do. You ever been there? I, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. Well, that's part of what Ecclesiastes 11 is urging you to. Boldness and courage in a messy world. Be bold for Jesus. Be bold for yourself. Use whatever opportunities you have. Be wise. Do the right thing. And you never know when God might bless it. And if he doesn't, well, that's his will too. And you submit to it. Quietly. And gently. Well, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for uh, this passage in Ecclesiastes, for the wisdom of Solomon. And we pray for uh, this seed that we sow, this, this work that we do for you, this labor that we engage in for you, this effort that we do. And we ask, Lord, if it be your will, prosper it, bless it. 
cause the sun to shine upon it. For Jesus' sake. Amen.